So my message this morning is on the submissive wife. Maybe I'd rather talk about the weather this morning. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this, this is an important message that, that we have uh, today before us in this text. Um, church, marriage, and the church is under attack because of what we believe, because of what the Word of God says. And if we're not going to be tossed here to and fro, you know, if we're not going to be controlled by the waves of the sea, um, we need to know the truth. We need to be anchored in the truth. And so as we enter this, uh, this uh, study on, on marriage, uh, this morning I want to approach this from a theological perspective. You know, why does Paul say the things that he says? Church, there's a biblical foundation for it, okay? And so we're going to look at that theological perspective. Uh, we're going to look at the Trinity, uh, the, the example the Trinity is for us as husbands and wives. And uh, we're going to look at Christ's headship over the church, and that it's all about Christ and what he has done for us. So uh, I've got a lot to cover this morning in a short period of time, but uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and we've been talking about um, looking at what it means to walk wisely. And last week, in learning what white, walking in wisdom looks like, it, it uh it meant not wasting our time in these evil days. It's, it's knowing God and what God's will for our life is. It's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Uh, don't live the way of the world, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And uh, Paul then went on to describe what the filling of the Holy Spirit looks like. The person who's full of the Holy Spirit is going to be full of joy. He's going to be full of the Word of God. He's going to be full of singing and praise. What we did this morning to, corporately, um, you ought to be, have been contributing. You ought to have been singing because a person who is full of the Holy Spirit is not a spectator. They are a participant and they are lifting their voices to the one who deserves all our praise and adoration, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the spirit-filled person is full of joy. He's full of gratitude for all that God has done in their life. And he's, he's full of, um, of cooperation, um, the Bible says to be submissive to one one another. And uh, so this morning we're going to be lo looking more at what submiff, sub, submissiveness looks like in a marriage relationship or in the home. So that's where we've been. Uh, that's where we're, we're going. And so, um, so today in chapter 5... 
turn there if you haven't already. And um, I'm going to begin with verse 21 and then go through verse 24. Paul says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit does. What he manifests. Verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body his, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You know, as I looked at this message this morning, um, or had had been working on this message, I um, I asked my wife to look over my notes and uh, ask her to cut out anything that she thought might be hard to hear. So in conclusion, <laughs> no, not really, that, that didn't happen. But uh, Paul says some very strong things in this passage of Scripture, and I don't have to tell you that they are controversial today. But he says them for a reason. And for wives in particular this morning, God wants you to do this so that he can bless your life. He wants you to be submissive to your husband as to the Lord. And God sees. And in this submissiveness, there comes great blessing. As hard as it might be sometimes, there is a blessing that accompanies obedience. Now, understand that this submissiveness is grounded in Christ's headship and the church. Okay? Christ is the focal point of all history and the reference point for all obedience. We are to do these things as husbands and wives and children and as employees, as employers, because of what Christ has done for us. He is the head. He is the head of the church. He is to be the head of the, the marriage relationship, the, the home, a believer's life. The Bible says in verse 23 of Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is Savior of the body. So let's look at the theological basis. How can Paul say these things? Well, number one, the Spirit of God has spoken through Paul and recorded these words, okay? So these are of God this morning. But um, when it comes to 
male headship and wives submitting, where does it come from? It starts in the very first book of the Bible. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis church is so foundational to a Christian's life, to the, the life of the church and, and the, our biblical worldview. Uh, the book of Genesis, primarily the first 11 chapters, it's not mythology. Okay, it is the word of God. These things actually happened. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And let's look at God's words when it comes to um, the man and woman and uh, marriage. Let's look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. He did that on the sixth day of creation. Now, when you go to chapter 2, God drills down uh, a little bit further in how he created man and woman and what took place. So, chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So God made Adam first. And, uh, and while when he made Adam first, Adam was re- assigned the responsibility to name all the a- animals. And so after Adam had done all of that, verse 18, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave them names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, while he, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and clothed, clothed up its place and, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his, boy, his girlfriend. Is that what it says? No. And hold fast to his wife. 
God instituted marriage right here. Marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is where Paul gets his uh, foundational uh, theology of marriage. It started with God. It was created by God. It wasn't designed by man. It was created by God. And here in these passages of Scripture, we see male headship uh, happening. The woman was made for the man. You know, Adam named all the creatures. And he's looking at all these animals. They're all paired up, okay? It's obvious that they, they, they both go together. And here's Adam. Who am I paired up with? What, what am I going to do? What am I doing? And God said, it's not, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God put Adam to sleep, removed one of his ribs, and fashioned, fashioned that rib into a woman. And when Adam woke up, mm-hmm, Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. She belongs to me. God, you hit the nail right on the head. What a perfect creation. The woman was made for the man. And Adam was very excited about that. A, a perfect match, a perfect fit. We also see that woman was made from the man. Eve was created from Adam's rib. Eve came from Adam's side, uh, representing uh, her companionship, her, her, her ability to be her husband's helpmate. Eve wasn't fashioned from the scalp of Adam's head or by uh, bones from Adam's feet where, you know, he could be uh, oppressed or stepped upon or, or dominate a woman. No, none of these things came from the rib. Eve was made from the man for a specific purpose, and woman was brought to the man. God brought Eve to Adam and then number four, we see um, a little bit later on in chapter three, that woman was named by the man. So immediately in the book of Genesis, we see the male, male headship is found here. And according to chapter one, when all of this transpired, and when God, at the end of day six, looked over all that he had accomplished, God said, it is very good. This was God's plan. This was God's design. This was God's purpose, not man's. And so we see today that... Um, 
our culture, our society ignores the book of Genesis, okay? Wants to, is very critical in saying that uh, it is something that man has developed on his own, that this isn't what God did, when that couldn't be further from the truth. Marriage, patriarchy, that means male headship, it's under attack. And um, I want you to see this according to the book of Genesis. Male headship was determined by God before Genesis chapter 3, before the fall, not after. Okay, God said that this was very good before sin entered the world. Second, I want you to see that marriage was invented by God and is not a social construct, which means this isn't from man. This wasn't man's idea. This was God's from the very beginning. The world sees this, sees marriage as a social construct created by religion to oppress a certain segment of society, primarily women. And culture is doing everything it can to dismantle, to to get people to believe that Genesis is a lie. Marriage doesn't oppress women. Marriage protects women. And God is very clear how marriage is to function. In church, it's important that we believe these things and apply these things to these truths to our marriage relationship because there is great blessing that accompanies these principles. But we must believe. Now, understand. So this is Paul's theological perspective. This is where Paul gets what he says um, in Ephesians chapter 5 from Genesis 1 and 2. Now, understand, Christ's headship has saved both the husband and wife, okay? That, that is a biblical marriage, okay? God wants both the husband and wife to both be believers in him. They, they're not to be unequally yoked. And both individuals know that Christ has died for them. But church, we as a, as a church need to understand that Christ has died for the church as well. Okay, so Paul says some more things in another passage of the scripture in Romans chapter 5. Turn to Romans chapter 5, and I want to read verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, referring to Adam and his sin in the garden, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? There were some consequences for male headship in the beginning. Both Adam and Eve failed God. Adam was ultimately responsible, okay? Eve was deceived, but Adam was passive through the whole situation. And uh, through that act of disobedience, through that male headship of Adam, sin entered the world. But praise God, there was another male headship. The second Adam, Jesus Christ. And what Adam did, who brought sin into the world, through the second male headship, Jesus Christ, and his act his life of obedience, life of righteousness, it leads to righteousness and salvation for those who believe and follow the second Adam. So male headship started off bad. Male headship ended up good in salvation and redemption and restoration for all who believe in him. And so as a church... We have a responsibility to proclaim this good news. We don't have to live under the first Adam. You know, we don't have to be, you don't have to be oppressed in marriage relationships or dysfunctional in marriage relationships. You know, when it comes to husbands or wife or or children uh, rebelling against parents. No, if we follow the Christ, our Christ head, who has accomplished all that we couldn't accomplish for ourselves, you know what? Marriage relationships can be rescued. They can be restored. Um, relationships can, with children can be restored. We can have better relationships between employer and employee. And so it was male headship that uh, brought on the fall. And, uh, and it's that poor male headship that's trying to dismantle marriage today. So go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is head of the wife. We're talking about patriarchy there. That's a good word when you're doing it God's way. This is God's good intentions for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands Um, christ is our example And as a church, we receive this truth. We are to believe this truth. And we are to act 
upon this truth. This is God's plan for a husband and wife and as a church to submit to this church. Look at verse 24 again. Verse 24 says, Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, for just a moment, should wives submit in everything? Well, let's be careful about the everything because that's not... There's another passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 18. Um, 318 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So when it comes to submitting in everything, there's boundaries. We submit according to what is pleasing to God. If your husband wants you to to do something that you know is not of God, that is unbiblical, that may harm your relationship with, with, uh, with the Lord or harm your children, there's a boundary there. As is fitting to the Lord. So, but going back to verse 24 again of chapter 5, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit. I want you to know this morning that the church is not doing a really good job at submitting to the Lord these days. We're living in a day and age where where churches are questioning um, patriarchy, questioning male headship, and uh, are rewriting um, how um, women can lead in a church. You know, the Bible is very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to end there this morning at the conclusion of our, my message. And I hope you find it really encouraging as uh, I, I talk about uh, all of this and uh, where, we're, where we're getting to. But verse 12, I want to bring this up because this is a critical time in the Southern Baptist Convention. Our convention is meeting in New Orleans uh, starting Tuesday. And you've probably read in the newspapers where our executive committee had voted Saddleback out, Saddleback Church and uh, Mission Viejo voted them out of the convention because they had ordained three women. Um, well, the former pastor of the church, Rick Warren, whom we're all familiar with, uh, he's going to bring that to the convention floor. He believes in his heart that this um, conviction that the, the church has had, that the, our convention has had from the very beginning, um, needs to be changed. 
needs to be reinterpreted. Now, let me read what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter, 12, chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? Going back to Genesis chapter 3, okay? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. That was uh, in chapter chapter 2. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's in chapter 3. Now, that doesn't mean that Adam didn't have responsibility. He had lots of responsibility as well. He was just passive. He didn't try to protect his wife in that situation. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And we'll get into that verse uh, at the conclusion of the message as to what that might mean. But our, our denomination is questioning um, women not being able to be pastors in the local church. The Bible is clear that the office of elder pastor is for male leadership only. And that's coming into question today because um, patriarchy, male headship, has uh, taken a, a really bad rap. You know, there's been... There's been sexual abuse in the church. We've seen it through the Catholic Church. We've seen it through other denominations. And we've seen it in um, the Southern Baptist Convention. And, uh, and people who talk about sexual abuse uh, say that's because of male headship. Churches are dominated by men only. And that women need to be a presence. Women need to be a voice in that office. If there was a greater balance in the office of pastor, there wouldn't be all this abuse. That sounds really good, church. But it's not of the Lord. Okay? The Bible is clear. And we, we can't capitulate. We can't cave to this. Why are Baptists, why have Baptists been so convictional about this for all these years? Because you look at mainline denominations who capitulate, begin to ordain women ministers in the church. We're just, they are just opening the door to liberalism, okay? They're rebelling against the word of God and it's not going to stop there. And for many of these mainline denominations, it's led from ordaining women as, as priests and pastors then to ordaining women as who are in a gay or lesbian lifestyle and just bringing homosexuality into the life of the congregation. Ordaining women is the gateway. Now, it doesn't mean all churches are going to go that direction, 
but many of them do. And we can't afford to rebel against God's word because that's what it is. And that's what the vote we're facing this week in New Orleans. Are we going to believe the word or are we going to believe or go the way of culture? So you need to be praying for our denomination. You can watch our convention online if you go to uh, uh, sbc.net or, or whatever. Google it, you'll find it. But, um, but, but the argument is patriarchy, male headship only in the church is oppressive to women. This idea of patriarchy, male headship, in a marriage relationship is oppressive to women. You know what? It is oppressive to women if men aren't doing their job. Next week's Father's Day. And I'll be talking to, uh, to the, the fathers next week about our re- re- role as husbands in a marriage relationship. But when it comes to marriage... Marriage between a husband and wife is to reflect the image of the Trinity. Okay? Uh, Marriage of the Trinity. Marriage is to reflect the love that's in the Trinity. Church hierarchy is to reflect the love of Trinity. There There is an order in marriage... And there is an order in the Trinity. And the Trinity is our example of function and dependence between a husband and a wife. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they share one nature, one essence, all the attributes. They are equal in every way. The Trinity is one God in three persons. And there is a cooperation. There is a, um, um, there, there's a submissiveness, but there is an order. And just as there's an order in the Trinity, there is an order uh, in a marriage relationship. Look at what it, when it comes to our salvation, look at the cooperation that takes place. Uh, between the two, between the three. The Father is so, and His sovereign will and, is, and His love for His children is accomplished in salvation. When it comes to the Son, the Son's death and resurrection accomplishes our salvation. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, His regeneration and seal secures our salvation. So there's this voluntary submission, uh, interdependence, cooperation that is taking place in the, in the Trinity. In church, we are created in the image of God. As husband and wife, we are equal. One's not greater than the other. Both are critical to the marriage relationship. But when it comes to the wife, 
and reflecting uh, the Trinity. We'll look at the husband next week, but in verse 22, Paul says, Wives, be submissive. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a voluntary submission of your will to your husbands. Now, notice, wives, it doesn't say, wives, obey your husbands. Okay? Obey is a stronger word and is reserved for your children and uh, employees with employers. But when it comes to this voluntary submission, it means willingly, voluntarily. It's a heart, spirit-filled submission. And then here's here's another word. Submit to your own husbands. You own your husband. Your husband owns you. You're not his property. You're not a a piece of property. In the Greco-Roman world, I mean, it it was totally different. Women had no rights at all. I mean, women were treated lower than dogs, okay? But when it comes to the role of the wife in a Christian marriage relationship, it is transformative. Paul is saying, voluntarily, by an act of your will, submit yourself to your own husband as if you're doing it unto the Lord because he belongs to you, you belong to him, and you belong to Christ. So out of this fear of the Lord and out of love for him and devotion to Christ, as you obey, you are benefited. You are blessed. There's a divine blessing that accompanies this. Your life, your life is to honor Christ in all that you say and do. I haven't said it all here this morning. There will be more to say next week. But um, there was a book written by Elizabeth Elliot, uh, Let Me Be a Woman. And in that book, she, she talked about the dance. Now, I'm probably the worst person in this room to illustrate or give a picture of a dance because <laughs> I have no rhythm whatsoever. I just kind of shuffle my feet when it comes to, to dancing. Um, if you watch me dance, that would be sin, okay? It is not a pretty sight. But um, she talks about this dance, and she talks about the role of a wife. Um, and she says, you know, when it comes to your role as the dancer, as the wife in the relationship, 
your role is not minor or inferior whatsoever. You're not a second-class citizen. You are not beneath your husband. Your role is to follow for a reason. You know, and when, as, as you're voluntarily choosing to play second fiddle and follow his lead, you know what? You're not stepping on one another's toes. Uh, you're not working against each other. I mean, there's, there's a, a beautiful syncretism that's taking place. But when you think about the dance, who do people watch most? It's not the person who's leading. It's the person who's following. In most dances, it's the person people remember, but the shining performance in the one who follows. Wives, there's great blessing in following your husband. I want to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. I want us to look at verse 15 as we close. I'm going to land this plane this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's start at verse 12 again, but we'll end in verse 15. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man Rather, she is to remain quiet. She's to be the follower. Verse 14, 13. And Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was, was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So there's, there was consequences in her having been, been deceived first. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, what in the world does that mean? She'll be saved in childbearing. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm not a man. <laughs> I, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can we edit that from the tape, please? <laughs> oh, Okay. I'm glad I'm not a woman. Because <laughs> I've been there for the childbearing process. And it's almost as painful as back surgery. No, I'm kidding. It's more, I'm sure it's more painful than back surgery. But it says a woman is saved in, in childbearing. Women, wives, moms, there's a blessing 
and playing second fiddle and being the follower. You ever watch a sporting event? At the end of the sporting event, they're, they're um, interviewing the athlete, the, you know, the star player of the game. And typically, what do they say uh, during the interview? Hi, Mom. I love you. I never hear athletes giving credit to Dad. It's always Mom. Mom, if you do it God's way, Dad, if you do it God's way. Kids, if you do it God's way, God's going to bless that home. God doesn't make any mistakes. God had a plan from the very beginning not to oppress you, but to bless you to protect you. And there is great blessing in obedience. Wives, be the follower. Next week, husbands, we're going to look at our responsibility. And when we're fulfilling our responsibility... You know what? It's a lot easier for our spouse, our wife, to follow our lead. Nobody's perfect. God's put sinners together. But through that relationship, God does something supernaturally that brings glory and honor to him and blessing to that home. May we reflect that as we continue this study. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I know the hour's late. So much is here, Lord. And Father, we're in a storm right now. As a denomination, as, as a culture, in the, the whole idea, concept of marriage and male headship. It, Lord, it's all coming under attack. It's all being questioned. But Lord, there's no question, question when we know your word, when we obey your word, and the blessing that accompanies, Lord, our obedience. And so, Lord, may we know you. May we follow your will. And, Lord, in following your will, I know that there's going to be consequences. But, Lord, through it all, may you be glorified. Lord, be with our convention. Lord, there are those who are standing on your word, on your promises, on your truth. God, your truth is going to be, prevail. 
I don't know if our denomination is, but your truth is going to prevail. So may your, Lord, your will be accomplished. Give, Give leadership to those who trust you. And may we be careful followers who walk in wisdom, who are able to discern truth from error and walk in your ways accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please?